Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. And if you enjoy listening to our show, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button on the episodes. Finally, aside from our podcast, our day job here at RiderFlex is to provide recruiting, staffing, and consulting services. You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get the information on the services we provide. And now, a quick word from our sponsor and friends at Marketing 360. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Okay, you ready to rock and roll? I'm ready. I got my granddaughter saying that last time she was here. She, she's three, and by the time she left after a few days, she was saying it. Let's rock and roll. You ready to rock, and, rock roll? and roll? Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Shelly Brunswick on the Rider Flex podcast. Hello, Shelly. Well, hello. How are you? Very nice to uh, have you on the Rider Flex show. I, I was fascinated by your background and your bio as I was studying and looking you up online and trying to find all the information I could. Great career. Well, thank you so much. And I do want to say I'm honored to be here. I really enjoy your, your show. I've listened to several of your reels already and uh, it's exciting. And the information you share with your audience is very inspiring. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Before we get into what you're doing now, uh, right now as the COO for the Space Foundation, before we go there, will you talk to us a little bit about your family mom, dad, growing up, siblings, where you're from, stuff like that, if you don't mind? Absolutely. So I grew up in Wisconsin, and uh, my mom was actually a single parent originally. Um, She's married now. I have a stepdad. It's wonderful. But she was a single parent growing up, and she worked in a non-traditional industry. She worked in manufacturing, making tires, and she worked, you know, whatever it took to um, support us. And so I learned a lot of my good hard work ethic from my mom. Uh, breaking down barriers, trying different things, um, you know, always doing your best, even when the odds are against you, keep going. So I learned a lot from my mom and right out of the Air Force, I, or excuse me, right out of high school, I decided to go in the Air Force. Um, Let me ask you before you, before you go there, before you go there, any siblings? No siblings. Okay. Just you and your mom. Now, did you have the stepdad when you were still at home or he came into the picture after you were gone? He came into the picture a little bit later. So So it's primarily my mom was my biggest influence. So when people say, who's your hero or your role model, I always say my mom, because she was a single parent long before people thought that being a single parent was okay. And she worked in a non-traditional female role and she worked really hard. And she taught me that you can work hard, you can set goals and you can continue to move forward. And it doesn't matter, male, female, young, old, anybody can do anything. Why the Air Force and why not college first and, and, and then why, why the service and why the Air Force in particular? Well, I didn't feel I was ready for college. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to focus on for one thing. And I know some people just go to college and they kind of figure it out. I, I, level. I wasn't at that point. And so I decided going in the military was a good opportunity. Um, I interviewed all the opportunities, right? You know, I took the ASVAB test. Everybody takes that, uh, Uh, ASVAB when they're in high school and kind of saw where my aptitudes were. And I went and talked to all the services and the Air Force offered me the best opportunity. And my goal was just to go in for four years, 
earn college money, uh, see the world, and then get out and go to college. And uh, as you read from my bio, that's not exactly what happened. I did see the world and I did earn some college money and I did go to college at night, but I ended up staying almost 30 years. So it didn't quite work out the way I planned. And I share with your audience, that's okay too. Things don't have to turn out the way you plan. Well, they never do. I mean, yeah. Who does have plans at 18 that work out perfectly? Were you, uh, I want to just want to push you a little bit more on the personal stuff. Were you were you uh, a great kid? Were you a troubled kid? Were you in tr- Did you get arrested? Did you was your mom like, oh, holy shit, I'm glad she's out of the house. Or what, where were you in there? <laughs> I was a great kid. The day my mom took me to the military enrollment uh, facility and left me to join the Air Force, she cried. Mm-hmm. Um Okay. So, and she still tells me I was a great kid. So now whether that's true or not, you'll probably have to ask her, but you know, I, I, I was good. I, you know, very independent, um, always did extracurricular activities, uh, played sports, um, theater, um, always loved new opportunities. So, okay. Just wondering before you, I didn't know if you went to the service, like, okay, you know, she booted (laughs) you out and made you join the service because you were in trouble or something. I wanted to find out if there was a deeper story there. Okay. So, you took the test and you, you went into the Air Force. All right, you went to San Antonio, went to went to basic training in San Antonio, like they all do, I guess. Yeah, I sure did. Got on the plane, flew from Minneapolis, St. Paul, headed to San Antonio and went through basic training and, you know, learned how to be a team, right? You know, learned how to work with others and being an only child, being very independent. Obviously, you know, that was new for me, learning how to collaborate and work with others. Um but it was a good experience. And then I went and became a personnel specialist. So my first career in the Air Force enlisted was in human relations, uh, human resources, doing uh, assignments, moving people from one base to another or promotions or uh, the training assignments, getting them their training. And I did that in a couple locations. Um, my first assignment was to Turkey. Um, and then, uh-huh. yeah, my second assignment was to Germany. And then my third assignment enlisted was here in Colorado Springs, where I live now at the Air Force Academy. That's so how you got to, that's how you got to Colorado. Okay. And we're, when you moved to Colorado, were you married yet at the time? No, I was not. So, okay. so living in Colorado, it's wonderful. Um, and I will share that I, then I had to leave Colorado because then I applied to become an officer mm. and I was supported by uh, several champions and mentors and role models. And I applied to become an officer and I, I, I want to share with your audience. I was not selected the first time. Mm. So at the time I have a uh, bachelor's of science in uh, business and I have an MBA. So at the time the Air Force was looking for STEM professionals. And so I had a 12, one, two, a 12% chance of being selected. And so I kind of share with your audience that even if the odds are against you, try anyway. So I did my best, put in my application, was turned down. And the Air Force had an automatic where your application meets another opportunity, another board. So I updated my application, even though I didn't think I'd be successful. And on the second time I was successful. That's why, that's why. So this is why you're a champion of women in STEM now. That's why you're a big proponent of that now. I see. Now that's the tie-in for that. Okay. Well, I would say that. And at the time when uh, I was enlisted in 30, 40 years ago, there weren't a lot of women in the space sector and the space sector was primarily STEM. But where we are today, 40 years later, it's very commercialized. And now we need all individuals, high school graduates, PhDs, project managers, which is what I did for the Air Force as an officer, 
to STEM professionals. So now there's a lot of opportunity for more diversity and inclusion uh, in the space industry. Right. That was a big deal. Congratulations on becoming a lieutenant, right? That was a big Thank deal. You. That was a big moment in your life, I'm sure. I was pretty excited, as was my mom and my stepdad then at the time. And they they came to basic training uh, or officer training school and watched me graduate and get commissioned. And they were very excited for me. So I've always had, you know, strong support from my parents, uh, you know, my mom initially, and now my mom and my stepdad throughout my life. So I'm really fortunate in that manner. Did you ever see any action? Did you ever, were you ever in danger? Were you ever near bombs or anything crazy like that in, in your time? Well, that's an interesting question. So as a project manager for space, you would think not, but I did do an assignment to um, Iraq uh, mm. during Operation Iraqi Freedom. So there were always opportunities for danger, but you know, we all work together. You have a buddy system. Uh, you be safe. And, um, you know, fortunately, I, I came home, as did most most the individuals I know. But there are a couple that I know did not return. Mm, mm, mm. I'm sorry to hear that. Did you ever get in trouble in the service? What? what give, give me something juicy. Did you ever get did you ever get nailed for something? Come on. You got to give us something. You weren't that perfect the whole time, were you? I'm never perfect because I like to think that I'm a I, I'm one of those people that likes to make people uncomfortable uh, because change is always inevitable. So I'm always looking for what's the next thing. And sometimes that makes people uncomfortable. Um, right. So I was one of those people in the military, you know, a lot of times um, it's, all, it's all about the team. And I do believe in, you know, we're all better together. We're all stronger together. But sometimes you got to have that scout, that scout who's out front mm. looking at what's mm. coming. And that may or may not mean the enemy, but it could be, is technology changing? Are there new opportunities? Are there new ways of doing things? Um, are you thinking outside the box? And so I think that was that can make others uncomfortable, especially when they're used to, you know, the the the, the status quo. So I always I think, like to think, you know, so I, I so I for all my former military colleagues, I know that you're looking at me going, oh, my God, you were, you know, always making us think or reevaluate things. And sometimes it, it's OK to reevaluate and, and, you know, look at new new ways of doing things. And again, we would not be where we are in the space industry. If SpaceX hadn't reevaluated that we could do a reusable launch vehicle. So, you know, it's good to look for new ways and push new ideas. You must be wearing a bracelet on your arm because every time you set your hand down on the desk, it's pound. <laughs> what, are you, what are you wearing? What are you kind of bracelet you got on there? Let me see. Oh, I don't I don't have bracelet. I have Is kind of a, a it's oh, a rock star okay. jacket, you know, with a I like with it. zipper. I like I like I like your jacket, by the way. It goes great with the background. I think it's cool. Yeah, I well, think it's awesome. You. Okay, now when you got to be an officer. <clears throat> I was trying to give you, I was trying to get you to give us something, give us something personal there, but you, you, you wouldn't tell me anything. I think I did hear you say you, you pissed off a couple of commanders at different periods. That's what you're saying. Um, I don't know if me... I did that <laughs> or they, or they, they might've appreciated that. Right. Cause you, you know, sometimes having that one out there who kind of pulls everyone along, you know, that kind of helps too. When you got to be an officer, were you thinking, and I once you made Lieutenant, were you thinking this is a career I'm staying for 20 years? Were you thinking, my passion is space. Where, where was your head at at that time? So up until that point, I'd been in personnel. I was in the Air Force, wasn't really familiar with the space industry. When I became an officer, that's when I became a space project manager and was stationed out in Los Angeles, which was at the time the Space and Missile Systems Center. And they did all the procurement for, you know, ground station launch vehicles on on-orbit assets like satellites. That's when I transitioned into the space industry. So it was a really exciting time. It was a new learning opportunity for me. Um, 
I, you know, and again, I had no idea that I'd stay as long as I did. My thought was at that point, I had been in the military 12 years. So I was thinking, mm-hmm. yep, I'm going to go until I retire at 20. Okay. And then I'm going to go do something else. So initially my, again, four, it was first going to be four years and it was going to be 20 years. And it turned mm-hmm. out to be a little over 29 years. <laughs> did you raise your hand for that assignment uh, at the station there? Or, or did they just say, hey, you're, you're going to go do this? So the Air Force decided for me. So sometimes, you, well, I did decide when I raised my hand the first time, I decided that I would let the Air Force make my decisions. Uh, now, when they selected me for this career, I had no idea what this was. And again, I was resistant to it. So I was calling, asking to be, could I be a personnel officer? Those are I the see. things I knew. Right. So right. I, I share with your audience, don't be stuck in what you know. Be Good. open to new things. And, it, and finally, uh, another officer at the personnel center said, look, this is what we need you to do. And I said, okay, that's what I'll go do. And uh-huh. I went and learned all about it. And I have to tell you that changed my life and it's brought me to where I am today. And I'm really glad that that person said, look, this is right. what the Air Force needs you to do. Mm, it is amazing how when little doors open, you turn left, you turn right, it can just change your life. Now, when you moved to California and did that assignment, were you married yet? I was not married. Okay. All right. All right. When did that come along? Give us, give me that real quick. <laughs> So my husband and I got married, my my husband and I have known each other more than 15 years. We met while I was a captain stationed in Los Angeles. He was a retired firefighter from Texas. So we had the long distance relationship. And then when I retired, we did get married at that point. So we've been together 15 years, but we've been married about a little over five now. How'd you meet him? So that's always fun. We were both, uh, we both have the travel bug. We like to travel and we were both on a tour to Thailand. And so oh, you, you went on a tour, you went on a tour of Thailand on vacation by yourself. I went with a colleague. Uh, okay. I went with a friend. So originally it was supposed to be my mom. She wasn't able to go because the year before we'd okay. gone to China, okay. we were going to do another trip to uh, Thailand. She wasn't able to go. A colleague at work said he would go. And so we went and then uh, my husband was, it was a water holiday in uh, Thailand where, you know, everybody gets watered down and it's all part of you know, the, uh, the new year, we'll call it. And so he was playing in the pool with all the kids and I was watching him and I thought, well, what a great guy that is. And then we got to sit next to each other one night at a dinner and I was like, I might, this guy might be okay. And then, so, uh, <laughs> so it. there was a little conspiracy on the tour. Uh, there was a trip <laughs> where we all had to get on a boat ride together and we all, and my conspirators and myself, we all worked together to where I was able to sit next to him on the boat. And then, <laughs> From that, the, the, you know, the tide is written. So I like that. Now, now hold on. I just got to ask you this. Now this, this brings up a question. You said you went on the tour with a guy. So, but the yeah. guy was, was the guy, was that a relationship? Was that kind of a weird yeah. moment kind of a thing? Cause you were there with him and no, no. Okay. Well, initially my husband thought we were together, but we were not again, just, oh. just friends. And right. uh, I'm really grateful he went with me because had he not taken my mom's place, I might not have gone alone. And then I may have never met my husband. I can just so see I the should, firefighter. I, I can just, what's your husband's name? It's Jerry. Jerry. I can just imagine Jerry. He's looking over. He's like, hmm, I wonder if she's with that guy. That's weird. They're kind of sitting together, but they're not really holding hands or anything. <laughs> he did tell me he had to wonder about that initially, but he caught on that we were not together. And, I and then my friend. Yeah, yeah, and then my friend who went with me, he 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 met another young lady that was also on the tour. So I, I will tell you that as a guy, like if I was a single guy and I heard that you were a captain in the Air Force, 
Like that might be a little bit intimidating. I'm, I might be like, I don't, I don't know if I want to approach her or not. <laughs> yeah, but he obviously, well, if if he's a, if you're a firefighter and you're retired, you're probably not scared of too many things. <laughs> no, and he was an assistant fire chief, so I don't, I don't think some okay. captain in the Air Force uh, made him nervous at all. He, okay. He's used to going and he's used to going and putting out fires and saving people's lives. I'm right. sure he was fine. Mm, okay, well, I appreciate you sharing that story. Okay, so. Let's go back to your career. All right. So you're moving along through your career. Um, you now you're involved in the space. Now, now that now you're finding that as a passion, I'm guessing as you're, as you're moving along, right. That's becoming more and more of who you are. It is becoming more and more. There were several opportunities to do great assignments in the air force as a space leader. And one was out in Los Angeles, as I shared. And another one was working at defense contract management agency, Okay. which is the north which is also in California in Redondo Beach so not hard assignments there yeah right yeah yeah you had it you had it pretty tough there <laughs> it was tough it was tough Redondo Beach Manhattan Beach it's all good <laughs> but that assignment was being the implant rep for defense contract management agency for Northrop Grumman space so instead of working on it from the Air Force side talking to the the contractors that are doing the work, I'm actually in the facility, seeing the work they're doing, seeing how mm. they do business, seeing how mm. they're accomplishing it, you know, how they're partners with the government and creating those space systems. You know, Northrop Grumman has one going off soon called the James Webb Space Telescope. It's the next evolution of Hubble. I mean, evolution is not even the word you use. It's, you know, thousands times better, but that's the next evolution. And then from there, I went and became a professor for space uh, project management for an organization called Defense uh, Acquisition University. And then from there, I moved to DC and worked on Capitol Hill. And that's where I helped secure the budget for the Air Force. So not just the space budget, which was my background and my strong suit, but also, you know, being able to talk about the entire Air Force budget and the needs of the Air Force and basing and personnel and, and all the programs. Did you like living in DC? I did. I loved it. Did you? I, yeah, I think, you know, I, I feel like everybody says that when I'm recording the podcast, but secretly they want to say no. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did love it. It was great. You know, I, you know, my mentality, remember, I'm only going to be in the Air Force for years. I'm only going to be here 20 years. So mm -hmm. my, my mentality going to D.C. was I'm only going to be here two years. You know, the Air Force moves you around a lot. So I went for okay. two years, you know, lived as close as we could to Capitol Hill um, to make my commute short. You know, we had to downsize, but there were so many, there's so many things to do in DC, you know, all the museums. And then with all the things I did for the Air Force and Capitol Hill and all the opportunities, um, I just, every time it was like, are you ready to move back to LA or somewhere? It was like, no, I'll say another year. No, I'll say another year. And then it was really? five years later. Yeah. Five years later, uh, it was time to say, well, I think it's time to retire. So. And that was it. And then you retired. And then I retired and I thought I was going to stay in DC. And then the uh, Space Foundation was looking for a new chief operating officer. And again, I wasn't sure if I should apply, um, but my colleague said, never disqualify yourself from a job you haven't been offered. Ooh, so I, I, I love that line. I, that's a great line. Now, what were you doing when the recruiter called you? What, what were you like sitting on a beach somewhere? Were, were, you, were you chilling out or what? No, I was still working. So I was still about 10 months out from retiring when I- Oh, I see, you know, uh, I see. Yeah, okay. so this is part of a network. Everybody on your network, network, network. So I was letting people know I was retiring. So people just started sending me job offers, you know, not job offers, but the announcement. So I was in the loop. And so this job came across my desk. So I was sitting in the office with my colleagues on Capitol Hill. And 
I said, hey, what do you think about this job as a COO? And that's when my colleague said, Vanessa, her name's Vanessa, so we'll give her a shout out. She said, never disqualify yourself from a job you haven't been offered. So again, it goes back to, even if the odds are against you and you're excited about it, try anyway. So I did try 170 some candidates later and about six months of interviews. And wow. I was fortunate to become the next uh, COO of the Space Foundation. And I never had sitting on the beach. I retired from the Air Force 31 <laughs> December, turned around, drove to Colorado Springs and went right to work on 12 January. So wow, um, haven't looked back, been full speed ahead. You don't strike me as the type of personality that relaxes too often. <laughs> no, my husband and I are opposites. That's what's so great. He is retired and loves it. He's like, he, he'll be like, maybe I should get a job. And I look at him and he'd be like, nah, I, I'm, I've already got the best job. And then I'm like, I don't know if I ever want to retire. I mean, I love being involved, making a difference, contributing. Um, and at the Space Foundation, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. And so it's a wonderful organization that gives back to the community, both locally, nationally, and internationally. I really feel I'm making a difference and having an impact. And as long as I feel that way, I'm, I'm going to keep on working. More power to you. I think, did you graduate high school in 85? I did. Now you know, now everybody knows how old I am. No, it's on your LinkedIn. <laughs> you, you, you got it right on your LinkedIn profile. I know. Uh, the, reason it, the reason it stuck with me is because I graduated in 85 myself. So okay. uh, we have that in common. Uh, give the listeners the Space Foundation three-minute overview, if you don't mind, for, for everybody listening that has no idea what the Space Foundation does. Go for it. Absolutely. So the Space Foundation is a 501c3. We've been in business almost 40 years, located right here in Colorado Springs, and we have three main divisions. So you can always think of us as your trusted source for information, education, and collaboration. So under information is our Symposium 365. So we conduct right here in Colorado Springs, the global premier space event, and we just did one in August 2021, mm -hmm. the first mm -hmm. event post-COVID, bringing together the global space community, and we do also run that. 365 days a year on our 365 uh, virtual platform. So your audience can participate in person or sign up virtually. The next division is our global alliance. So we are a U.S. nonprofit, but we do business locally, nationally, and internationally. And that's all part of partnerships and collaborations, government affairs, international partnerships. And then the, the division I'm really excited about, but, you know, as the COO, they're, I'm, they're like my kids, so I can't really have a favorite, but... <laughs> Um, we recently launched uh, in May of 2020 during COVID, our Center for Innovation and Education. And okay. that is all about creating access and opportunity for, um, for workforce development and economic opportunity so that all individuals, mm. high school graduates to PhDs, men and women, different regions of the world can find their way into the global space ecosystem. So that's obviously where we're really hoping to break down barriers and allow more access and opportunity into this space community. Mm, I like it. Uh, how does the, uh, I guess do you live off donations? How does the how does the organization survive on cash? Walk us through that. <laughs> well, we look at all sources of revenue. So as a 501c3, we are grateful for donations and contributions. We do receive grants uh, for many of our programs. We have entrepreneurial programs for adults. We have a K through 12 space inspired curriculum, teacher training. So we do receive grants from the U.S. government. We also sell our programs to other governments. Um, ah. We have a program going on with the UAE Space Agency as well. 
um, for an elite program that they're offering uh, students because they're trying to grow their space workforce as well. And then we also have our Discovery Center located here in Colorado Springs that is open to both the public as well as to student field trips. And then the other part of our revenue from those, uh, we do have our annual symposium. And so that is also part of our revenue source. So we are launching a big initiative though. Uh, we plan to expand our facility here in Colorado mm -hmm. Springs. We wanna triple it okay. to provide more access to create that workforce for the future to fill those future jobs. And the workforce will be tied to space in some way, I can almost guarantee you, right? I'm sure you agree. <laughs> Absolutely. And what I want to say is when most people think of space, they're thinking about the moon and Mars and beyond. But I want to share with your audience that at Space Foundation, we really talk about advocating for innovation to better life here on Earth. Mm. Every part of your daily life is immersed in space technology. Right now, we're talking because of space technology. Your cell phone has space technology, uh, cordless power tools, uh, a formulated food, firefighter protection equipment. So I'm grateful for that. Um, but so mammogram technology, cataract surgery, um, the cochlear ear implants. So there's so much technology that is pervasive from space that we have gleaned from the Apollo era, mm -hmm. that it's now part of our everyday. And so for your listeners, for them, there's a great opportunity to be entrepreneurs and develop this uh, technology because NASA has thousands of patents that are waiting to be commercialized. You can go mm. to the NASA Technology Transfer Office. And for students, we really want to be out there talking in school, sharing our programs, our space-inspired curriculum, so that kids, they see this as a career opportunity. It's not about learning about what we did. It's not about Apollo in the shuttle era. And it's not about memorizing planets. Space today is about great paying careers. And that's what we want to bring into schools and share with kids of all diversity, as well as teachers. I love it. You know, you're right. So many things we use today were created because of the space program. and People just forget about it or they just don't know. They don't. So let me ask you this. Now that you're involved in space, so to speak, and, and that industry and and so forth. When are we going to create warp speed so that we can travel faster to, to other, what are your thoughts around space travel and, and the future around that? What are your thoughts? Just curious. It's a really exciting time right now as we think about, so let's talk about warp speed. So one of the technologies we have to improve is energy and energy storage solutions, right? We're thinking mm -hmm. about solar panels. Those are designed from the Apollo era, right? That's old technology. So what is, what is the technology we need to really live on the moon and Mars and beyond? And we need that technology here on Earth, too. We need new energy and energy storage solutions here on Earth. Mm. So I again, as I share with you, as we think about going on Great to point. the moon and Mars, we need that technology here on Earth. We need better agricultural methods. You know, we've got to grow food in austere conditions on the moon and Mars and create water. Well, we have to grow food here on Earth in austere conditions. So for your audience who's like, I don't understand why we're doing it, you know, when we, when we pursue these um, technologies and cutting edge technologies, they then transition into our everyday lives to make all our lives better. Think about better weather predicting, you know, how great that weather predictions are as the hurricanes are coming in, you know, three, four, we've had already this season. Think about getting on that plane to travel. You want your pilot to have the best weather prediction. We use uh, space to grow food called precision agriculture and using precision agriculture can increase crop yields by 
you're using it for water management and resource management. So for your audience, thinking about going to the moon and Mars is really going to help us here on Earth. And Apollo 8 astronauts, when they went to the moon and they looked back at planet Earth, what they realized was, yes, they traveled to the moon, but it helped them really discover the Earth. And that's what most of those 600 plus astronauts all say when they go to space. What it makes them really realize is they discover how fragile and how beautiful planet Earth is. Mm. Some of your commentary almost sounds like you've had to defend, in some cases, the organization and the focus and you know the reason for spending money. It sounds like you've had people say, "Why are we?" I mean, I can almost tell that you've been hit with that a bunch of times, where people have challenged, "Why are we spending money on space?" and blah blah blah. I never think that way personally, but I guess you do have people attack, attack you in that way to a certain degree sometimes, huh? Well, that is part of what I learned when I worked on Capitol Hill as a budget and appropriation liaison. It's not about defending it. That sounds defensive, but it's more about education and building awareness. Okay. So if people aren't aware how space is part of our everyday lives, mm -hmm. then they don't understand it. And it's similar to cyber. When you think about cybersecurity, people are like, you know, it's not something you can see or taste or touch, but our whole communication system, our finance system, you know, are running on space and cybersecurity. And we're learning from all the ransomware how important space and cybersecurity are. So as these things become more tangible in this negative sense of ransomware, we're learning how important they are. But for your audience, if you go and want to take money out of an ATM machine, you are using space technology with if something happened to the satellites in space right now, the GPS satellites, no ATM machines would work. Well, a lot of other things wouldn't work too if we lost GPS. A lot of <laughs> it, it'd be yeah, it'd be a really bad day for a lot of things. But you know, I just want to. You couldn't go swipe your credit card at the grocery store. You couldn't get gas. You couldn't get, take cash out of the ATM. So we are very dependent on space. But it's less about defending why we're investing in space because eighty percent of the space ecosystem is commercial. So. In 2020, the global space economy was $447 billion. There's a good reason. 80% <laughs> is commercial, and it's going to grow to about 1.4%, uh, 1.4 trillion, according to Bank of America, by 2030, and then over 3 trillion by 2040. So what I'm sharing with your audience is this is a great economic engine, the space uh, industry and how it's creating products and services here on Earth creating great jobs from high school graduates to PhDs. So it's not about defending the great economy because for those who are part of the space ecosystem, we get it. The bigger thing is how do we break down that barrier in perception that space is not for me, that I I'm not gonna be a rocket scientist or an astronaut, so space is not for me. And really what I'm trying to share with you and your audience is space is for all of us. And if you're interested in being part of the space economy, whether it's high school graduate that's in the manufacturing sector, trade worker, artist, fashion designer, project manager, STEM professional, there's a place for you. And that's the bigger thing that I want to share. And that's that may be our future workforce. But for our current workforce, if you want to be an entrepreneur or you're looking for those opportunities, Again, there's entrepreneurial opportunities to commercialize space technology through the NASA Technology Transfer Office. And there's great um, catalyst campuses around the country. The Space Foundation has an entrepreneurial program to help you be an entrepreneur. 
or if you're mid-career. And I have a lot of folks who come to me mid-career and say, wow, I always wanted to be a part of the space industry, but I never thought I could. And now I think I can. What do I do? And we at the Space Foundation do have a workforce development roadmap that we share with them. That is all great information, Shelley. Things that I don't think about, and I'm sure most listeners don't, don't think about, but you really did a great job of highlighting the commercial piece, which I didn't know that was the stat, 80%. You know, people, I hear people say that, why are we spending all this money on space? They have no idea that 80% of that is, is, is not tax dollars. It's, it's, it's business, commercial business, right? I think the, the average commoner probably thinks everything they see with space is just tax, tax dollars, probably. So great point. I'm glad you brought that up. You mentioned the career stuff for everybody, which I think is awesome. The technology piece and things that were developed from the technology, I think the average commoner somewhat understands that a little bit more. I think most people know that a lot of stuff was created from space. Probably don't realize how many things, but I think that's a, a, a that's a great reason to continue. Just the technology alone and what they build and create to travel in space that ends up helping us on Earth is is fantastic. The piece that I want to talk about next, though, and I want to ask if this is a logical question. Is it, would you say it's true? I don't, I don't know if it's true or not, but is it logical to think we have to figure out how to travel at a faster speed with better technology to eventually colonize other planets? We have to do that. Or inevitably in the future, at some point, we're going to run out of space and water and food and resources. So we therefore have to do something else. Is that not a logical statement? What do you, what do you think about that? I don't think we have to colonize other planets, explore the moon and go on. I think we want to as humanity. That's part mm. of our DNA as we are explorers mm. and we are learners and we are lifelong learners because learning about outer space Learning about the cosmos helps us understand ourselves. That's why from the start when we could send probes to discover other planets and other galaxies and solar systems, we sent probes out because we want to learn as a species. Now, the part about the planet, we do have a finite amount of resources. This is the best starship that we can find right now, planet Earth. So we are on a starship right now. How do we want to treat this starship? The resource piece can be solved because that is part of space technology. That is why they're looking at how do you capture an asteroid? How would you bring it into whether the moon or, or Earth's orbit so you could harvest it? There are asteroids with water and minerals and gold and platinum. And so the resource constraints can be solved with technology and, and understanding of how we can harness that. And there are experiments going on with catching up to asteroids, landing on them, taking samples, returning and taking off. So that is that type of technology is, is being explored and, and developed. But again, so I think the, the resource constraints will be evaluated. The part that our planet has to look at is what do we want to do with the part of net zero? How do we get to zero carbon emissions? Because that is the part that is mm. challenging the planet. We're all having hotter summers. We're having more arid um, regions. You know, the western part of the U.S. is getting burned up. Um, more water is coming in other parts of the world. We're seeing all the hurricanes. So we are looking at a climate change. And, you know, the scientists are saying that is coming from that carbon emission. And so how do we get to net zero? And so there are a number of ways to look at that, you know, and I know even 
even the oil companies are looking at how do they get to net zero? How do they become diversified? You know, they're the best uh, minds in, you know, how do we do this? How do we want to mine the moon? The moon has some uh, technology that could help us with energy and energy storage solution and other activities. So I share with you that we, we all have to work together and come to the table and say, how do we want to work on this? So there are, you know, obviously fossil fuels, there's other um, industries, cement mixing, deforestation and stuff that add to um, the carbon on planet Earth. So I don't think we have to leave the planet. I do think we have to decide how do we want to live here? And some individuals like, you know, Jeff Bezos says, do we take manufacturing off planet Earth? Do we do it in low Earth orbit? So how do we take the manufacturing aspects that may be hard on the environment and take those into outer space? So as we've lowered the cost of launch to get things into outer space, what does that look like? Mm. And there are companies that are manufacturing in space now. I mean, there's actually a company called Manufacturing in Space. There yeah. are activities being manufactured on the International Space Station. So if we can take some of that off planet Earth, now think about how you'd go to work. See, that's what I want to share with your audience, especially mm. the young mm. kids who are thinking, mm. how, how do I work in space? Maybe you don't work in space. Maybe you go in and you put on your virtual reality suit and your stuff and you're working in space, but you're using virtual reality and artificial intelligence to do manufacturing in space. And we do that in space. And then we allow planet earth to be more our homes, right? Where we live and play and commune and, and have other activities. And we can take some of the other pieces off. So I, I, that was a long answer to your question about, do we have to leave the planet? I don't think we have to leave the planet. I do think we have to decide how do we want to live on the planet together? That's great information, Shelly. Thank you for that for that overview. But but what about warp speed? When do when when does warp speed get created so I can travel to other planets? That's what I want to know. I want to I want to know when does warp speed warp speed get created and are there life on other planets and do I get to see that before I die? That's what I want to know. <laughs> so as soon as we find those dilithium crystals from Star Trek, where you're going to get to travel at warp speed and see all the aliens from all the other planets. Okay. <laughs> By the way, is Warp speed, is that a term created from Star Trek or did NASA have that created in Star Trek? Took the, I don't even, and does the WARP stand for something? I have no idea. You know what? I think I want to call a friend. Let's call Bill Shatner, you know, Captain Kirk <laughs> and ask him. He's, a, he's a pretty funny guy, I hear, so. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't even know, like joking around with the listeners right now. Like I have, I have no idea. Is that just a term from Star Trek? I, everybody says it like it's like a real thing. I, I, I don't, I think it was just created for the show. I have no idea anyway, but I do think it would be <clears throat> moving past this topic. I do think it would be fascinating because um, I'm 54 years old and I would love to uh, have advancements to, to travel to other planets or, or possibly see life on other planets before I die. I don't think it's going to move that fast. Unfortunately, I think I'm going to be gone before any of that happens, but I would love it if it did. Um, okay. Let's move into um, I, I'd like to ask you a couple of things around advice for aspiring executives or people that want to move into, you know, space of space industry of some kind. What advice would you give a listener right now if they said, hey, I want, I want a career uh, in the space industry? Maybe I want to work for NASA or maybe I want to work for SpaceX, but they can't get their foot in the door. What advice would you give them? So that was the part I shared a little earlier about the Space Foundation's 
workforce development roadmap. So yeah. the first step is awareness. So we're creating a lot of awareness right now. And that's really important. And the next mm. step is mm. access. How do they access into this? Is it, you know, the NASA tech transfer office? Is it a program? You may need some training, right? So do you need to get reskilled, upskilled, become an intern? Uh, maybe you need a degree, maybe not. Then the next step is networking. So how do you network into this industry? And then how do that's you find huge. a mentor? So the two I really highlight to your audience today is if they're really interested in the space industry is build a network. So there's Space Generation Advisory Council here in mm. Colorado, the Colorado Space Coalition, mm. uh, Women Tech Network, the UN Office of Outer Space Affairs has many groups you can join, such as Space for Women. They have a youth group. And then find a mentor, find a good mentoring program, because many times a mentor can help you. Do I need some training? Who do I need to connect to? What do I need to learn? To come into the industry and then i think once you once you start making it into the industry you're going to be great but you got to remember you're changing careers or starting a career depending where you are you know if you're coming out of college so it's going to take time to build that network and find those mentors i call it mentors champions and uh coaches and and you're gonna to have to just keep at it so every day you know as long as you're moving slowly towards your goal you're going to do good so don't think of things and what can i do by tomorrow Think about where am I going to be in a year and then mm. how am I going to get there? And so mm. think about it more. Where am I today and what will next year be like and start working towards that goal? How about um, young female managers, operators that want to move into sea level eventually someday? Any advice for them? Absolutely. Well, know, know your job. You know, be an expert in what you do. Take on hard projects. Don't be afraid to leave your comfort zone. Demonstrate your skill set. Build your network, um, you know, build those mentors, role models, and champions. And let me define them a little bit. Mm -hmm. So um, a mentor is kind of like, you know, think of a baseball team. So a mentor is really like the batting coach. So they're going to teach you how to really focus in on one area. So maybe you want to become a better project manager. So you find a mentor who helps you with that. Then um, a coach is kind of like the overall baseball team coach. So they're looking at the whole team. So a coach might be somebody you look at who can help you develop as an executive leader. So maybe you want to look for an executive leader coach to help you develop some of those skills. And then a champion is kind of like the general manager or the owner of the baseball team. There's somebody who's a couple levels above you that can help you position for what the next career steps might be for you. So for women or diversity or anyone looking to come into the space industry or really any industry, you should look for mentors, champions, and coaches to help position you. And then also join organizations that are in the industry you want to be part of. Obviously, Space Foundation has our annual symposium. There's Space Generation Advisory Council, the UN, Women in Aerospace, NDIA, you know, AFA. So there's organizations that you can start to network in to start building your relationships. And remember what I shared at the very beginning of our interview. How did I find the job I'm in today? because I was sharing with my network that I was going to retire from the Air Force and people were sending me job announcements. And that's how I found this job. Otherwise, I don't think I would have found it. So I share with your audience, building those relationships is going to help you advance into whatever career you want to be in. I just want to add one more thing to, to those thoughts. And those were great ones, Shelly. Thank you for sharing. Uh, one more thing. And this is Speaking to the audience as a, as an executive recruiter, right? I mean, I mean, I'm the CEO of Riderflex. We are a recruiting firm. We recruit and interview people for a living. 
And I, I, I see uh, lots of groups, lots of organizations trying to help women and make sure we're diversified and inclusion and things like that. And I think all those are wonderful. But I'll tell you, as a recruiter, the math of the number of women applying is, is a huge part of the problem. People will call me and they'll be like, well, why aren't you, know, why aren't you selecting or, or, or picking more women for executive positions? Or why aren't companies hiring more C-level females? What I say as a recruiter is, I, I wish we, I can't find any. <laughs> I wish more of them would raise their hand. Like no, none of them apply. You know, if I, if I put a, if I put a C-level posting out and I'm not joking with the listeners right now, if I put a C-level posting for, for a C-level executive and we're marketing that as a recruiting firm, a very tiny percentage of the people that respond to me or call me or apply are female, a very small percentage. So my advice to the listeners on top of what Shelly gave is simply raise your hand, like just say you want the job, like just speak up because believe me, companies want you. They're looking for you. They want you to be interested, but just not enough of them apply, not enough of them raise your hand, which is what was so great about your friend that said, yes, Shelly apply, just raise your hand. (laughs) And I think you'll, you'll have, you'll give yourself a fighting chance if you just simply step up uh, a little bit, because believe me, companies are, are looking for you right now. So I just wanted to add that, add that in there. And I think for women, a lot of times when we look at a job announcement, you say, got it, got it, got it. Oh, I don't have that. So I can't apply. Right. right? And so for your, for your audience, for women in diversity, apply anyways. Yes. Put your name in. You know, Absolutely. And, and either you're going to get a thank you for applying, but no thank you, or at least maybe you'll get an interview. Maybe you don't make it to the end, but you'll go through the process and learn a lot along the way. Yes. And then you'll be ready for the next time because mm-hmm. it, it, you know, um, I didn't make it the first time I applied to be an officer. I made it the second time. So you have mm-hmm. to keep trying. And sometimes going through the process of an executive recruiting opportunity for a C-level is a great learning experience. Take yes. that as an opportunity to learn and grow and learn about yourself. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. Okay, wrap it up. Two last questions. If you could call the young 18-year-old girl in Wisconsin coming out of Memorial High School. Did I get the high school right? You sure did. <laughs> 1985. Go old age. <laughs> <laughs> You had the Madonna collection. You had all of it, right? Of course, of course. Right, right. If you if you could call her and tell her anything based on what you've learned over the years, what would you say now? Well, I think throughout the whole theme of this conversation, what has highlighted and resonated most is building your relationships. Remember, I was that only child, very Mm -hmm. independent. Over Mm -hmm. the last thirty years, what I have learned is the most important thing in every job in every situation is building your network. How about this, Shelly? What about your core purpose in life right now at this stage in your career, at this age in life? How would you define your core purpose if you had to put it into a sentence? Every day when I get up, am I making a difference in the world? And it's really about, am I creating access and opportunity into this new global space ecosystem? I'm very much about How can I share the good fortune I've had with others who may see the space industry as not for them? And I want to demonstrate that the space ecosystem 
is for all of us. Shelly, thank you so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast and sharing your story. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm honored to be joining you. And it's been, this has been a fun interview and exciting. How often do I get to really talk about aliens and the lithium crystals <laughs> and Star Trek? And right. so uh, I think it's pretty exciting. 